0: Hello and welcome to our show. You are listening to What's the Tea with Reconciliation Ministry. Twice a month we sit down with guests to have conversations about the intersection of faith and social justice. I am April Johnson, Executive Director of Reconciliation Ministry and i Hello and welcome to What's the Tea with Reconciliation. I'm Brittany King and I'm filling in for April Johnson while she is on sabbatical this month. And today we are sitting down with Dr. Iris Session of The Gathering and she's going to talk about her work with The Gathering as well as... Um, what it's like to be a woman in 2019 and also um, part of these different movements that we're seeing from women um, in this day and age. So welcome, Iris. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for this wonderful invitation. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you here. So just go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell, Tell us a little bit more about you, what you do, how you got involved in this work.
1: Well, I am a second career clergywoman. I began after college. I'm not going to give you the year, but my Mm -hmm. undergrad is in social work. So I spent the first half of my life and work in the field of social work. So I served as a parole officer for the state of Texas. I worked as an investigator with Child Protective Services. Worked for many years in the field of HIV and AIDS and in the nonprofit world, serving women who had been trafficked, prostituted, helping them to transform their lives. And during that work, it's when I began seminary at Bright Divinity School and obtained a master's of divinity with concentration in Black church studies and then few years later, a doctorate of ministry in transformative leadership and prophetic preaching. And so through my MDiv career till now, I have been engaged in what I would call social justice transformational work with persons on the margins. Awesome. That is awesome. That is so cool. (laughs) Amazing.
0: And so what, what got you interested in this in this work is it through what you saw in your time in social work have you always been kind of passionate about social justice
1: issues Brittany? that is i, I would say yes. <laughs> yes, to that. yes yes i grew up in the inner city in new york mm-hmm. and i remember seeing a movie one time as a teenager and actually elvis presley was in this movie it was it, it. was not his typical movie, but there was a social worker in this movie working with him. And I remember from seeing her, there was something that intrigued me about social work, about being engaged in people's lives and trying to help them uh, become or get better lives. And that involved, you know, socially, economically, all of those kinds of things. So I was intrigued by that. And and so in New York, during the summers, I would have summer jobs and I would always work with inner city kids. And I found that I would work with the inner city kids and I would all oftentimes talk with them about spiritual things also. And so I think that is where my interests came from, growing up in New York and working with children, young people in the inner city.
0: Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. So talk a little about, talk a little bit about the gathering um, and, and why you started that and what it is for um, audience listeners that might not know.:
1: Wonderful. The gathering is a unapologetic womanist church of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. We are the only one. And in fact, although there are many womanists who pastor churches throughout the country, there are none who, there are no churches that have as their description as being womanist, a womanist church. And so this church started not really intentionally,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What we knew, and I'll say that there are, it was started by three African-American women who all are theologically trained. We all have a master's of divinity. I have, of course, the doctorate of ministry, mm-hmm. Reverend Camila Hall Sharp, who is co-pastor, is working on her Ph.D. in Hebrew Bible at Bright Divinity School. And Reverend uh, Yvette Blair has her master's of divinity from Perkins. And she is working on her D men from Memphis Theological Seminary. So when we started the gathering, it was because of our concern about Black women not having places to share, particularly womanist. Particularly womanist. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you define womanist for our audience? Just, I, yes,
0: I'm not absolutely. Sure I'm familiar so, with
1: one, womanism is to feminism as purple is to lavender right that is the tagline sort of when we differentiating womanism from feminism but womanism flows out of the uh, experiences of black women and so it the the term was coined by Alice Walker actually from her book In Search of Our Mothers Gardens and in her book she describes how our mothers used to talk to us as black girls and say we were acting womanish, right? Which meant wanting to know more than we, they believe we ought to know and uh, trying to find answers and asking questions and things like that, being very inquisitive. And so during the um, black liberation uh, theology movement, there was a group of, of African-American Uh, scholars who were concerned that the Black Liberation Movement was not, although it was addressing issues in the Black community, uh, was leaving out Black women, as did feminism. And so that is kind of how it became uh, a methodology for interpreting and reading scripture through women like um, uh, Dolores Williams, Katie Cannon, um, oh my goodness, uh, these these other names are escaping me right now. But so they began writing about this. And so uh, it looks at the biblical text in ways that ask difficult questions that look for where the marginal people are in the text and we give voice to them. Womanism is concerned with um, traditional communalism, which is the survival and wholeness of entire people. So it's not just about Black women's experiences and helping us to find the freedom and the love that we are entitled to and deserve, but also for other people who are marginalized. Because we believe that when Black women are liberated and freed, everybody is. Because for Black women to experience true freedom, that means that every uh, oppressive system would have to be obliterated because we are impacted by all of them. So, in a nutshell. Yes, I love that. Thank you. And then, so, the gathering
0: then is found by-
1: So, so, yes. So then the gathering, uh, we came together because of what we were seeing in community, because of what we were seeing in churches, and, one of the things we did in 2017 or 2016, I think, we had, I had this great idea, what would it look like if we had, on Good Friday, a woman is seven last words, right, with seven black women preaching. And we found a wonderful disciples congregation in Dallas, Midway Hills, who is which is an open and affirming congregation white congregation led by a white pastor and but he's a he's an ally we consider him an ally Arthur Stewart and he we we presented this idea to him about having this woman in seven last words he was all for it so we had a woman in seven last words and the congregation was full of people of all kinds and so after the service people kept coming to us asking us about this woman is preaching. Where mm-hmm. could they hear more? They've never heard preaching like this before. Yeah. And that kept happening to us as I would go to places and preach the way that I preach through a womanist lens. And and I kept hearing, where can we hear more of this? How can we hear more of this? And so from that and and also thinking about some of our own experiences we thought, well, what would it look like if we had a womanist uh, gathering in Dallas, where on a regular basis, people could come and hear womanist preaching. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how it started. We, we did not plan on being a church. That's why we called ourselves The Gathering. Right. But then as the people kept coming, and they keep coming, they helped us to become a church. Yeah, Because that's what they were coming for. They were coming for community. Um, they were coming to hear the word. They were coming for fellowship. Um, they were coming for communion, which we have communion you know, every week. And our services are on Saturday evenings as well. From six to seven, we have a one hour worship experience. And when I tell you it's one hour, it's one hour. We started oh and we're ending um, at seven. And one of the Mark's, I think one of the things that we do that really speak to us being a womanist church, besides having three as pastors lead it, mm-hmm. is after each sermon, because we, we, we each one of us preaches a different Saturday, mm-hmm. and then on the fourth Saturday, we tag team preach. So all three of us, or if it's just two of us, we will tag team preach. And then month that there's a fifth Saturday, mm-hmm. we invite um, a young womanist to preach, a millennial womanist, awesome. um, or a, another woman, another black woman, who may be a little older than, you know, a millennial, but mm-hmm. that we've heard, that we, under, that we know her theology and all that, and we invite them to, to preach. But, but one of the marks is that after every sermon, we have talk back to the text. And so what that does, it allows the congregation to talk back, to ask questions of what they heard us preach. They ask questions of the biblical text. They make comments and we engage in conversation. And so that's very womanist, right? To talk back to the text, to ask the text questions, to challenge the text, to challenge interpretations, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that's one of the the really important aspects of what we do. That is amazing
0: to hear, like, I remember the first time, and actually to this day, I remember the first time I heard a black woman in the pulpit preach and I was in, obsessed, like obsessed because I had never seen it before. And I just, and she did the, the talk back feature was there without it, you know, necessarily having that name and it, to this day, that's the only, it's actually the current president, Terry Hoard, that's the only woman I've ever seen in the pulpit. And so to wow. know that there's an entire church in
1: Dallas wow. doing this. Brittany, and you know what else is so exciting is that we live stream our services each Saturday.
0: Oh my god! And, and
1: so we, we've started, we've done that from the very beginning. And what that does is that it allows people like yourself and others to see this happening. To yeah. see and to hear, woman is preaching, and we have a very large online following that tune mm-hmm. in on a regular basis. And we so we have what we call ministry partners. We mm-hmm. don't have we don't classify them or call them members, but mm-hmm. we we call them ministry partners because. We're all in this together and we see that the people who come have things to offer, have gifts to offer, and even people who view us online. It, it makes this is preaching accessible to a, a wide range of people because we believe that it is transformational
0: yeah and what's so important about it when i think about i'm I'm a millennial myself and so when i think about the future of the church and the role i struggle to see the role that i could play in the future of, of a church at least in the traditional sense and when right. i see things like like the gathering i'm like that's it at least for like that's it like that's that's it you know and so i think it's i just commend you guys for one including
1: young women like myself in the pulpit. Well, millennial, I mean, um, Brittany, that women like you are who we had in mind. Yeah. Because for me and the, the other of us, it is about legacy. It is about what can we leave that would make ministry a little easier for the women, the Black women coming after us. We want the gathering to be a congregation that always has Black women pasturing it, Mm -hmm. right? So when we're no longer, and and which is why we, mentoring is so important for us, right? Um, And so you are who we had in mind.
0: So uh, yeah, it, it is Women's History Month and you know something that i've personally struggled with and i know like my circle of, of girlfriends it's this idea if we consider ourselves womanist or intersectional feminists one of the two and mm-hmm. and at least for myself i've struggled with like the traditional what i grew up learning about the bible and you sure. know women's place so to speak sure. and what i believe now about equality and in all forms you know and so i wonder how you like how do you, how do you reconcile that? Like what kind of like when you're, when you're taught growing up, like this is what a woman is, or I'm recently engaged, like this is what a woman is in a marriage. And this is what, you know, this is where a woman belongs, things Mm -hmm. like that versus what a lot of us believe now. They're just not the same. And so I wonder like, um, If if that's something that you struggled with in this journey to create the gathering and just growing up as a black woman and how you kind of teach through that now to young women.
1: Well, it's absolutely how I was raised and what I was taught in relation to relationships and a relationship to myself as a female human being that I was an aside or that I was to be subordinate or in subjection to a male, which meant at least how I understood it was that I was second, right? That the male, the man's needs, especially if it was my husband, took precedence over mine. And it harmed me in many ways. One of the way, and I was also raised in a religious faith that <clears throat> did not allow women to be clergy, right? So not only was I subordinate to males, but even in God's sight, right, there were certain things that I just could not do. At the same time, I grew up with this something within, as Dr. Renita Wing says, is something within that kept pulling me in a direction. And I knew that I sensed that I was to be speaking publicly to groups of people. But because of how I was raised, it certainly didn't mean me preaching. It, me- it must have meant that I was to be a motivational speaker or lecturer or something like that. And so I eventually married twice and what was in my mind each time was I'm supposed to support supposed to see I'm Mm -hmm. supposed to support a man in ministry and then after my second divorce I heard the spirit revealed to me no it was you Mm -hmm. you are the one God was calling Wow and so what we do in our preaching mm-hmm. is we, we, we always, at least whenever possible, we lift up women's stories in scripture. And we lift up often the stories of women that you haven't heard preached from the pulpit. See, cause growing up, I never heard women like um, Vashti preached. Mm-hmm. Right, I never heard the story of Vashti, right, refusing to parade around with just a crown on in front of a drunken king, right? Never heard, always heard the story of Esther, but never Vashti. Never heard the story of the daughters of Zelophehad in Numbers chapter 27, five women who went to the tent of Moses after their father died and before they crossed over the Jordan and telling Moses and the other men at, in the tent of meeting, look, we have a right to our father's land. Give it to us, mm-hmm. right? Never heard those stories. So we preach and we teach those stories, right? Never heard the story of Shera, right? A woman who built cities, right? never, And so we we preach and teach on those kinds of stories, and we lift up the patriarchy in the text, and we show it as sinful and evil, right, and not God's design. And so we retell stories, and that's what womanism does as well. You know, womanism uh, retells stories. Womanism looks at the biblical text and comes to the text with questions and and, and, and strives to find, as uh, Valerie Bridgman says, the, um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Tries to find the, um, the human flourishing, right, for all people. And so that's, that's how we address those ways of thinking about women and women's roles. And just the fact that it's three women pastor in a church, right? I mean, so that in and of itself is resistance to that way of thinking about women and women's roles. And not only is it three of us, but we have non-hierarchical leadership. So none of us are the senior pastor. Right. Right. Um, And so that is quite different and quite, I think, revolutionary.
0: Oh, yeah. Do you guys ever, have you guys ever received any Pushback for the way, maybe not from the congregation, I would assume, but for the way that you guys are, the way you've cho- like chosen to run the gathering,
1: and the way you've chosen to
0: preach, even.
1: I cannot say that we've received pushback. We've received questions, like, are men allowed? Because because we have in our description. A womanist church. We were very intentional about putting it there and that has caused some confusion. Um, when we f- first started, even now from time to time, um, is it just for black women? Right. So we've had to address those questions of are men involved, you know, because automatically because of I think stereotypes and just seeing the word woman it makes some people think that it's exclusive to men, uh, to women, and that we don't like men, that we're beaten up on men. Some of our biggest supporters in our congregation are the men, because we do have men that attend regularly uh, at the gathering.
0: Yeah, you need you. Need the, I mean, there's got to be allyship part of it. It helps it grow and flourish. Right. So yeah,
1: that's just so awesome. That's that's amazing. You guys should be. I'm sure you're very proud. But we're excited about what we what we see God doing uh, in the gathering and in us.
0: Yeah. So what's if you can share something? What's what's on the horizon for for you and for the gathering? Uh,
1: The pastors of the gathering are also engaged in um, social justice work in Dallas itself. Mm -hmm. Um, We are working on. Um, helping uh, the city, who which is a really a racist city. Um, there was a study by the Urban Institute on economic equality among cities, and Dallas ranked 274th out of 274 cities mm. in racial equity, economic equity. And so, you know, we've got all these beautiful buildings and high rises going up, Right. And as 50 Cent says, this is a big, rich town, but yeah. the people in the poorest parts are being ignored. Yeah. So we're, we're working to um, with the city council to talk about, you know, livable wage, affordable housing, those kind of things. Right. And so that all feeds into our racial equity, uh, social justice priority. Uh, and so those are things that are happening. And. Um, Boy, it's just, it, we got a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's all great. And we're, we're working on leadership uh, training because, you know, our entire group of ministry partners wants and needs to be engaged in this work. And so they have to be trained and, uh, on how to, on how to do that. And so that's what's coming up this year for us as well, leadership training. That's awesome. That's really awesome. I wanted to end with like a little nugget of
0: information for congregation members or pastors who may be listening to this and, you know, really like feeling called to do something as it relates to social justice work in their community, but don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And So what would your advice be to the the listeners that are like, okay, I, I see this inequality in my city, but I but, but what can I do? I'm just one person. Or what can we do? Our congregation's only
1: 20 people. You know, where, how can people s- start? Well, our congregation is about 20 people, right? We, we started in October, 2017. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're a new church, but a small group of people can do a lot. I think it begins with, what are you passionate about, right? What keeps you up at night? What do you think about? Where is your heart? Where is the spirit leading you? Because this is where it was leading us. So we have to look within. You know, Parker Palmer talks about let your life speak to you. And he talks about vocation and call, that it comes from within. So I encourage people to pay attention to their own lives, Mm -hmm. right? To pay attention to what... What's important to you? And if you have never spent time trying to figure that out, now is the time to start trying to figure that out. Start listening to your life, and, and pay attention to the opportunities that come your way. Opportunities to do justice, opportunities to say something about certain issues. You know, Pay attention, does that happen a lot to you in this particular area? If it does, maybe that's an area that you might need to learn more about, right? Um, start reading something. I would encourage everybody to read Robin DiAngelo's book, White Fragility, right? Because, and it's a hard read for white people, because she's a white woman, a sociologist who did research, and she wrote this book, not for black people, not for people of color, but for white people. And it's, so it's hard, a hard read, but I would encourage them to read that, you know, um, and to just pay attention to to themselves and what what's interesting to you, what what do you feel passionate and, and passionate about?
0: That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for just all that you're doing in your community, what you're doing for our church, speaking up for black women, Absolutely, helping us be seen. Yeah, I want
1: black women to win. Yes. I, I love women,
0: that. Everybody wins. Everyone wins. And right? I truly believe that. And yes. thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Well, that's our show for today. Stay connected with us on social media. We're at DLC Reconcile on Twitter, Reconciliation Ministry on Facebook, and on our website at reconciliationministry.org. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you so much for listening.